The finale of She-Hulk Attorney at Law has now dropped on Disney+, Plus. so this is going to be my spoiler review and breakdown of the final episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Movie Morning, and today I'm going to be giving you guys a full breakdown of She-Hulk Attorney at Law, episode 9, the finale of the season. Now, there's quite a bit to talk about here, a lot more than I was expecting to have to talk about going into this finale, and yeah, there's definitely, again, a lot of very interesting stuff to discuss in this final episode, and especially in the back half of it. Now, as a whole, to sum up my thoughts on the season, overall, I definitely was not the biggest fan of this season. I think that the first episode was a very solid first episode, and actually still, to me, might actually be the strongest episode of the show, but then episodes two through seven which is two-thirds of the show, all of it either just fell very flat for me or just straight up did not work for me and was just way too silly, dumb, with a lot of bad humor and really put its characters to the sidelines and I thought picked all the wrong plot lines to deal with. Episode 8, with Daredevil showing up, I thought was a quite a decent episode. They did a lot more for the Jennifer character, but obviously with Daredevil in there, it was just much more enjoyable. Now, I think with the finale, there was quite a bit in here that I think a lot of people would enjoy. Now, it seems like off social media and Twitter, it does seem like a lot of most people are very extreme on this episode. There are some people absolutely hating it, calling it super lazy, lame. Other people saying this is the perfect finale of the show and the best Disney Plus finale so far. And honestly... I'm sure I'm in the minority on this, but I am right in the middle. And I'm honestly struggling to really decide which thing, which side I fall on. And I definitely haven't had time to watch the episode. Just re-watch it again just to form my thoughts. But I have looked through it to get notes for this review. And because of that, I feel pretty conflicted. Now, I think there is a lot in here to enjoy. But I feel like all of that comes into the comes in the second half. And I think it was more the just novelty of seeing and having a lot of teases for the future rather than this actually being a satisfying conclusion to this show. And I think that's where my thing lies with this show. I think as an individual episode, there's a lot to enjoy. Well, I guess just the final two-thirds of it. As an individual set of content in the series, I enjoyed it. But I still think as a conclusion to the season and series, I thought it was pretty weak. And I think that that's kind of the opposite of what a lot of people or not, not the opposite, but in terms of just that thing. A lot of people are saying this is a very good conclusion to the season. I don't really know if I agree because I don't really think it does anything for Jen's character arc, even though that's exactly what Jen kind of points out that they should try and do, I guess, which, breaking the fourth wall, I don't want to get too much into spoilers, but we'll get into that in just a little bit. And I think it as a whole, it just leaves this show in a place where overall I think it was very lackluster. And I think it's definitely one of the weakest MCU movies or shows put together I think we've ever had, even even though there's a lot of finale that I do enjoy. I think as a finale, it actually does a lot to hurt this show, particularly episode 8 and how Daredevil actually fits in. I think that this episode, with the, how it sets up, it's meta and how meta it gets... I think it actually kind of hurts a bit of the past few episodes, and especially the ones that I personally actually quite liked. So this was a bizarre episode to me, and let's get into exactly why right now. Full spoilers, and let's go. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to speed through like the first 10 to 15 minutes of this episode because there really 
isn't much interesting to talk about. And everyone who's talking about it on Twitter is pretty much only discussing a very big element that's introduced like halfway through the episode. So getting in right to it, we start off with a recap of a She-Hulk 70s to 80s style recap. And this is very much an homage to the the, 20, the Hulk show that premiered, I believe, in like the 70s to 80s. And it was a, probably a really iconic show for most people. I've never seen it and I don't ever really intend to. And I think that's really what they were trying to capture with this narrating and this, you know, retro television style recap. Now, we follow up to follow up from last week's episode. Jen is now in prison and wants to take Intelligentsia down, but legally. And I again, I like that they're incorporating her wanting to get down legally rather than just her wanting to beat them all up. And I think it makes sense for them as antagonists. Now, Jen does get released, but she is fired and can no longer be She-Hulk along with that. Those are, I guess, kind of the terms. Or I guess her not allowing to be She-Hulk. She's fired, doesn't have a job. She goes back to live with her parents. And while this is happening, Nikki and Pug are investigating. And Nikki actually posts a little video to try and get invited into an intelligentsia meeting. And this is kind of where the plot of the episode actually gets going. Now, there is a reference to Pug trying to call Hulk, but nothing comes of that. Now, Hulk obviously does show up later in the episode, but Nothing really comes off that right off the bat. And Jen decides to visit Abomination Emil Blonsky because she thinks that he's really the only person that can help him out with this. Now, when she first gets there, she's greeted by one of the other people we met in Episode 7, but not the Abomination himself. And that kind of comes to play a bit later. And we get Nikki and Pug going to the little party and meetup that Intelligentsia is having. And this is where we get the big reveal. And getting right into it, it is revealed that Todd was indeed the head of Intelligentsia. One of the most predictable reveals I have ever seen in any comic book show or movie. And I think if we're, if I ever do an MCU villain ranking again in the future, although admittedly the last one I did, I actually found it pretty challenging. And I actually didn't, it was one of the only rankings I've done that I didn't really enjoy the process. And I guess character rankings aren't particularly my thing, especially going off that one, which I thought was especially a tough one and not really an enjoyable way, but anyways, that's besides the point. I think he may indeed go down as possibly the worst MCU main big bad of all time because he is the main villain of the show. It's not Titania like we were told. It's this character, and he's the leader of Intelligentsia. Obviously, no pun intended towards a lot of people speculating that the leader played by, um, or the leader is going to be Captain America, New World Order would show, would show up in this. And there was none of that in here. And it's revealed that Nikki, Pug, and Jen actually went to the same place and that Abomination is hosting the Intelligentsia meeting. And, it le- and we, it's revealed that Emil Blonsky actually lied to Jen about being Abomination, that he's actually helping people with Abomination. But he, she, he isn't really trying to hurt Jen. He just thinks that he just wants to help these group of people who thought there was something wrong with the world and that didn't really require any information on what they actually did to Jen. And actually does try to save Jen later. However, while he's not doing anything wrong, he did break his parole and did become the abomination. And that obviously comes back to bite him later in the episode. Now, this is where the episode kind of just straight up loses its mind. Like, within a matter of seconds, Todd becomes a Hulk. Titania just shows up out of nowhere and Hulk shows back up, and the episode pretty much lost me at this point. But obviously, I knew there was something else coming, but this was just so over the top. But obviously, Jen was commenting on all this, 
and talking about how ridiculous it was and how much of a mess this finale is. And I also kind of took it as a jab to the other Disney Plus shows, or specifically the Marvel ones. I don't think the Star Wars ones have had a problem in this regard. They've had problems with those shows, but they don't quite have the problem of being too short like the MCU shows have, and they kind of just cram everything into the finale. It almost felt like a pseudo dig at the other Disney Plus shows, and while that's cute, and yeah, I mean, like, I... I guess it just, it's, cool. it's good that they're noticing and that Kevin Feige allowed that in there, which means he, to some extent, knows what we're talking about when we complain about that. It is kind of dumb of this show to be, like, so cheeky about that because it's a much worse written show than every other MCU Disney Plus show we've had, in my opinion. And it just doesn't land as well when you're watching a show that generally hasn't been very good. And it kind of just makes the show look even worse in a way, but I'm not really going to get into that here, and I will definitely talk about that more in just a second. But we literally get She-Hulk going to the Disney Plus menu, breaking out of the She-Hulk icon, and jumping into Marvel Studios as Assembled. Now, if you've never watched, Assembled is actually the series where they release specials like every few months to coincide with every MCU movie or show released for the behind the scenes. I am not a fan of this because... Because they've created this series on Disney+, Plus, they've been slowly removing almost all the bonus features from the digital and physical releases of the MCU movies. And as someone who doesn't really like watching MCU movies on Disney+, Plus because of how compressed they are, and I honestly don't understand how a lot of people don't notice this kind of stuff, I think it's really frustrating that more and more is being taken out of, say, the physical releases, and I'm just not a fan of that personally, but... That doesn't really matter here. And we literally get She-Hulk going to the Disney lot, I'm assuming in California, and specifically the Marvel Studios home. And that was just crazy. And I didn't really... Well, I mean, no. I, I will say that while it was crazy in the moment, I do think that I was not as surprised by it. Well, I guess that's because a few months ago, I was actually listening to a podcast, and they referenced how... They had heard that She-Hulk actually goes to Marvel Studios. So when it happened in the moment, I wasn't as surprised. But I was surprised in a way that I just really couldn't see it being executed on screen in my head. And this episode, I guess, managed to do that. And Marvel's, she goes to the Marvel Studios a lot. And first, she goes to complain at the writers for hating the ending. They've come up and throwing throwing everything together. And one of the writers, the main writer of the show, Jessica Gao, was actually in the subtitles. It said, Writer Jessica. And I thought I would mention that in case you didn't notice, and she goes to complain about the writer's room. The writer's room is trying to speculate what to do for a season two, and she complains about how it's just they're using so many tropes that superhero movies and shows have done before. And again, it felt like the show was trying to outsmart its audience, but the issue is this show hasn't been very well written up until this point, that it kind of makes the show look a bit almost self-indulgent, and it just... I don't know if it quite lands for me personally, but one of the moments I did enjoy was Jen having to go to the main office or the main lobby and having to sign an NDA like everyone at Marvel Studios would have to. But then she gets attacked by some um, by some of the people who work at Marvel Studios and there's actually Iron Man suit straight up in the background. But she's trying to find the head of Marvel Studios, which is Kevin. But obviously K-E-V-I-N is in... It's um, obviously it's it's an initial it's their initials and 
it it obviously does stand for something else and not Kevin. But obviously, if for anyone who doesn't know and who watches this show, which I think I don't I think there's nobody, Kevin Feige, obviously the head of the MCU, the president of Marvel Studios. Obviously, this is what they're referring to here. Now, I originally thought they were actually going to have Kevin Feige show up. And I think that in the end, they, I actually would have found it a bit better if they got Kevin Feige to voice Kevin himself. But I, I understand Kevin Feige is not an actor. But I think you could have made that work. And I don't think the character needed that much. Just the actor who plays the character didn't need that much, that much of a thespian quality to him. But I do wish they got Kevin Feige to voice the robot. But that's besides the point. Sent in NDA. And I actually noticed that, that I thought the fight scene they had in the hallway was very similar to the fight scene Black Widow had in Iron Man 2. The staging of it was very similar, and I also thought that the lighting was almost the same, and I just wanted to mention that. There's also a poster of Captain America saying, I want you, which is uh, a play on the poster with Uncle Sam during World War II that was also one of the first things you see in the end credits of Captain America, the first Avenger. So I like that reference, and that's something that only a few people would really notice, and I, I was actually surprised I put that in there because it's pretty hard to notice. And then we also we also get one of my other favorite moments in this episode, and that is that Jen goes and she sees Kevin, and Kevin says, "Ask her to transform into she, in, back into Jen from She-Hulk, off screen, because the visual effects artists have gone on to work on another movie, obviously Black Panther: Wakanda Forever." And we actually hear the Wakanda theme in the background, and I personally actually quite liked that little moment. And this leads to Jen wanting to change the storyline of this final episode. And she says she wants to focus on her stakes and no world-ending stakes. We're no world-ending scale. And I actually do think that was the right direction for the show from the beginning. And I do like that the writers at least realize this. She decides to take out Todd as Hulk. Um, And she also says save it for the movie when referencing uh, them wanting to explain where Hulk has been. So that obviously, to me, does confirm that World War Hulk is in the works at Marvel Studios, and this is as much of a confirmation as anything, or at least not World War Hulk, but a solo Hulk movie, whether it's just called Hulk, whether it's called Planet Hulk, World War Hulk, WW Hulk, who knows? We will see once it gets officially announced. But they, she does say save it for the movie, so it does mean that Marvel and Kevin Feige definitely put that in there as a tease, and it's hammered down by what happens later in the episode, which we will obviously get into at the end of this review but she not she wants to change the storyline she decides to make the abomination pay for changing into uh changing back into the abomination and and uh wants him to go back to prison she does reference um a season two of she-hulk after this particular sequence and and i liked how kevin made the joke of see you on the big screen then saying no as a little poke at how she's getting a tv show and not a movie and Tatiana Masani's Jennifer Walters also does have, has a great moment where she kind of becomes a fan and asks, when are the X-Men coming? And then uh, Kevin obviously says, I can't tell you that, but I like the wink at the audience, kind of, you know, asking Kevin Feige for us to a degree. And I, I at least like, I kind of like that they put that in there. But I think, again, I will say there are a lot of individual moments in, these particular, in this particular Kevin sequence and a lot to break down, which I've just gone through very quickly. There's a lot of moments that I really like. But I think as a piece altogether, and I think this is where we get into my biggest problem with this episode, and that that together, all of this put together, creates a She-Hulk finale that to me kind of undermines 
what else they've tried to do in this series, such as trying to bring Daredevil into the MCU and having a, 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 or an origin that's actually interesting with Hulk. It means that this kind of meta stuff and the thing about Deadpool and I think why he's different from this is because he'll be playing with Hugh Jackman Wolverine and it will be mostly separate from the MCU from what I understand. And it will not be so tied, that it will not be so tied to the MCU that he'll be introducing. He certainly won't be introducing the MCU's Wolverine. And because of that, you don't need to take it seriously. But because this show it has is involving original Avengers and also is introducing one of probably one of the most key players going at least in the next phase for the MCU in Matt Murdock and Daredevil played by Charlie Cox. And making it such a point that this show is introducing him to the universe, the fact that in the same show we're having, we're being so meta about Marvel Studios literally existing in the world of the MCU, to me kind of creates a show that's at a massive identity crisis. And I, make, I may make another episode talking about this and doing a full season review, which was actually my original plan after not even reviewing episode 8. But I decided I wanted to talk about this finale on its own. I also wanted to talk about Daredevil's return in more depth. So I may end up doing this next week or maybe even later than that to really break this down. But I do think this is a show that maybe if it didn't have Daredevil in it and wasn't so key to the MCU in terms of such pivotal characters like Wong and Abomination, I think being this meta wouldn't be a problem. But I think it raises a few too many questions for me personally and I just really cannot get over it. Now, I don't think Deadpool will run into this problem because... Deadpool even created a new version of Colossus to be in their movies, even though there was already a Colossus. And that's when I felt like the Deadpool movies really understood what they were. This show seems to be kind of overestimating. I feel like parts of this show are just trying to feel way too connected to the MCU. And I think that's where this is this kind of being very meta is heard of it. Now, I will say that there was a mention that there was an error in Kevin and... Obviously, we were just talking about it, so I'll mention The only person who I could have thought of who maybe caused that error was maybe Deadpool. It did go, come go over my head a little bit that maybe Deadpool, it will be revealed that Deadpool was kind of responsible for all of this being possible. And Deadpool and She-Hulk are really the only two fourth wall-breaking characters that I think we'll see in the MCU in the very near, near future. And I think that I that thought went through my head, but I hope that we don't really address this very meta marvel studios thing again unless deadpool wants to do it because i think he's the only other character who really can but i don't know if they're setting up this little pocket story with shiok and deadpool in the future and i did cross my mind i did want to mention it moving right along shiok i should also say also wishes for daredevil to come back so once she does come back to reality everything settled down she kind of solved all the issues of the episode and daredevil comes back and i thought he kind of looked stupid in daylight and i will at least mentioned that I didn't really like the way he looked. Now, the Abomination does go back to prison. Todd is put in prison. And Titania, I guess nothing just happened to her at the end. And that's just just such a weird storyline with that character that I just still don't understand why she was such a big part of the show throughout the middle of it. Now, I thought the Daredevil costume looked stupid in daylight, but we do get actually a bit of Matt Murdock. And I didn't really expect to see him again in this finale. He does come back. He actually decides to come back and stay for a week. And again, this kind of stuff just in my head just comes off a bit wrong that is the Jen pretty much wrote Matt Murdock herself into staying for a week by having control of what happens in the universe and that just to me is like make putting She-Hulk on the level of like the watcher and I just don't 
Well, I guess not the Watcher, because he can't really control anything. Like, is She-Hulk now as in control of the universe as, like, Kang or the TVA? I don't know. Those kind of questions it raised for me because of how many very integral MCU characters are involved in the show kind of, I think, hurt it. But we do have him staying, and he's even asked why he's not staying longer. He mentioned his own practice, and I really thought when they asked, why can't you stay longer, he was going to reference it, maybe Car- maybe a reference to Karen or Foggy and why he needs to get back. And I was hoping that it would maybe help confirm whether this Daredevil is the same one as the Netflix show. And honestly, I, I think the question might actually go forever unanswered. And it's going to be an ambiguous thing where if you get the references, you do, but they're not going to be integral and you wouldn't have had to watch the Netflix show. But please, I implore you, if you're still listening, because you still haven't watched the Netflix Daredevil show, go watch it. It's the greatest comic book show ever made. And I think you'll 100% agree once you watch it. And we're going to just move on from that because I can go on a full, just complete praise show on how much I love that particular show. But this is where we get potentially the most exciting tease for the future. And we get Hulk, who's been away on Sakaar, returning... And revealing that he did have a son on Sakaar named Scar. Now, let's address the obvious. This is a pretty dumb name for a son. And I think Marvel Comics, not their strongest selection of names when they wrote this. I believe Greg Pak, who wrote Planet Hulk. I'm not sure if he also wrote World War Hulk. But could you imagine naming a son born on a planet named Sakaar and then naming that son Scar? Interesting choice. Now, the CGI on Scar in this particular sequence wasn't great. Obviously, there was no mocap here, but obviously, this is just a setup. And again, I feel like whenever they put the Hulks in broad daylight, with the way they've now designed and making them look brighter, especially compared to the original Avengers, where he looks great and he's kind of a bit more furry and a bit more really just realistic looking. Here, I feel like they've made Hulk look a bit too smooth. Very, very similar problem to She-Hulk. And I feel like the look, I'm not really sold on. But this more or less confirms that World War Hulk will be coming in the MCU because Scar is a very big part of the whole comics and it's the reason why he needs to return to Sakaar after he had, he had his you know gladiator you know shtick back there and well after he already came back to earth and this is obviously teasing a World War Hulk movie although I have no idea how they're going to fit it into this universe with characters like Iron Man, Reed Richards and pretty much the entire Illuminati being such a big part of it I really don't see them making another Avengers movie after Secret Wars for at least like three, four, or five years. So either we don't see the World War Hulk movie for a decade, or it's going to be very different from the comics. I just think the story is storyline is way too integral to the whole Marvel Universe for it not to be such a big event movie. But I guess we'll see how it plays out. Now, obviously, the end credit scene, we get Wong taking Emil Blonsky back to Camertage. Now, I'm going to be honest, I really don't think this is a tease for anything. I really don't think Abomination will be showing up for in Doctor Strange 3, for example. I don't think he'll be in Thunderbolts because I feel like they would have announced that. And if he was, I was actually speculating that maybe Val, played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus, would have showed up to recruit him. But because we got none of that, I still don't think he'll be, he'll be joining the Thunderbolts. So I guess that really does end my review of this episode and where we get into. So I hope you guys enjoyed my little breakdown of the finale. I hope you guys liked the episode. As a whole, I think I enjoyed this more than most episodes of the show, but I think as a finale to the series, I think it does kind of fail at wrapping up the show, at least in my opinion, or I guess just a season, in case we do ever get a season two, which is referenced, and I think with the way the show's been received, I really can't see them making another season, especially when it's like Hawkeye, which, although a lot of people don't like, I think it's the second best Disney Plus show they've done, yeah, I know. 
And I really do think that the kind of sh- that show or even Miss Marvel would definitely get announced first if they were getting season twos or even Moon Knight for that matter. And so with that said, that really does that does come to the end this review. And I, again, I might make another episode on She-Hulk. I may make I may make a ranking of the nine episodes, although they'll probably require me to watch a lot of them again. And I don't really know if I want to do that. So I'm not really sure if I'm going to do that, but I may make a whole season review in a few weeks and breaking down what went wrong at a certain point in the season and what maybe they could have changed. But thank you guys so much for listening to this review, as always. I hope you guys have enjoyed my She-Hulk reviews, which I've done for like half the episodes. And yeah, come back tomorrow or the day after for a review of the first season of Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, and hopefully a review of Andor episodes 4 through 6 quite soon. Thank you guys so much for listening. I'll catch you all next time. Bye-bye.